You know, the fact is, is that some of us like to fix things. We see something broken, and, and we have this inner drive to fix it. We can't help ourselves. It's how God made us. Now, I, I thought I'd start this morning by asking how many fixers we have in church this morning. How many of you would say, I see something broken, and I like to fix it? Go ahead and raise your hand. It's about a third of us. You know, the truth is, there are a lot of things that we like to fix. Some of you have heard that Mary and I got a couple puppies named Maggie and Gus. Well, guess what? They're going to get fixed in about six weeks. <laughs> and then they get to wear that wonderful cone of shame for about ten days. I have a family member who, whenever he is at my house, my wife just happens to mention that she's got something that needs to be repaired. And this guy jumps right up and does it. And when he does it, you know what, I feel a little guilty, but things around my house do get repaired a whole lot faster. House modeling shows are very popular these days, and I think that's because most of us live in houses that could be called fixer-uppers. And then speaking of fixer-uppers, some of you ladies are married to a fixer-upper. You married a guy that's got some good traits, but who obviously needed work. And guys, whether we're teenagers or we're in our 90s, we are all fixer-uppers. Just ask your wife, ask your mom, ask your sister, they will tell you. But the fact is that, that these wives that make it their goal to fix their husband, they typically end up incredibly frustrated. I like to fix my wife's problems. Mary will come to me talking about something that's bothering her, something that's on her mind, and I immediately begin to offer her solutions. Because after all, that's why she came to me, right? You know the answer to that. Not exactly. I have learned that sometimes a, a woman just wants to share her problems with her husband. She wants him to listen to her. She isn't asking him to fix them. I've been married 37 years, and I still don't really understand that. But maybe someday I will. And then as a pastor, people come to me seeking help with broken relationships. And because I tend to be a fixer, I have to be careful not to immediately offer the solution to what I see is wrong in their relationship. People need to work together to restore what has been shattered. It takes a willingness on both parties. It takes time. It takes patience and forgiveness. You know, the only master repairman is Jesus. He can fix anything. Jesus is the healer of everything that is broken. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are broken. Every single one of us. We all have our issues. We all have things that you could say need to be fixed. It could be problems with our attitude or a lack of faith, or anger, or selfishness, or pride, or arrogance, laziness, or a lack of motivation. Father, we ask you to heal us. So often we're wrapped up in our own brokenness, so that we miss the opportunity to bring your healing to the broken people around us. So forgive us, please. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. Help us to be a people of compassion. 
We thank you for the compassion that Jesus has for us. He suffered for us. As the prophet wrote, by his wounds, we are healed. And so we ask you to be with us today. Teach us compassion through the love Jesus demonstrated. May we be a people of compassion. Amen. Well, if you were with us here last week, you know we began a four-week topical series that we are calling Life-Giving Churches. It's based on a series of devotions that were written by our EFCA District Superintendent, Mike Shields. And and the idea behind this is for us as individuals and as a, a church to help others find life through Jesus Christ. See, we want this church, we want this body to be life-giving. We seek to be Jesus' messengers of life. In our first message, we talked about what it meant to boldly love others, and we were specifically talking about boldly loving those people who happen to walk through our doors. We declared our battle cry to be one that Mike Shields shared. It's this. Every person who walks through our doors matters to God, so they had better matter to us. I think maybe we should all say that together. Let's say it together. Every person who walks through our doors matters to God, so they had better matter to us. Such a calling is key to becoming a life-giving church. And the good news is that I believe this church believes that statement, and we try to live it out. But we know we all fall short. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can grow as a life-giving church. And with that background this morning, we're going to talk about another characteristic of life-giving churches. And that is that life-giving churches are compassionate. Sometimes we confuse compassion with pity. To pity somebody is to feel sorry for them. We say things like, man, you know that Paul, he has had a rough time. Life has dealt him some hard blows. And then we feel better about ourselves, but that's it. We feel sorry for poor, miserable Paul, but we have no intention of doing anything to help him. Paul isn't helped, and Paul feels degraded by our pity. And sadly, pity is offered more often than compassion. To suffer To have compassion is to suffer with another person. In other words, we walk alongside them in the trials of their life. We do life together with them. Compassion is also a call to action. In terms of our faith, we're to have compassion for the broken, compassion for the lost, and that includes everyone. And so, this morning, we might wonder what compassion looks like in our everyday life. Well, we're going to talk about that. But maybe we're also curious as to what happens when you and I demonstrate compassion. Well, here's the answer to that second question. When we offer compassion to the broken, God brings healing. It's the answer we see in our scripture passage from Matthew 9 and 10 that Amber just read a few minutes ago. In our passage, Jesus set the example... And then he called his disciples and ultimately us to follow that example. In Matthew 9.35 it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. 
Now there's some key words in that verse. Went. And teaching. And proclaiming. And healing. And those words provide the example, or provide the basis of Jesus' example of compassion. See, the first thing is Jesus went. Jesus didn't just sit in his carpenter shop waiting for people to show up. He went out into the community. He went to the people. Throughout Jesus' three years of ministry, he didn't have a home. The road was Jesus' home. Matthew said Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. The, the Jewish historian Josephus stated that the region of Galilee was densely populated in Jesus' time. Josephus wrote that there were as many as 204 cities and villages in that area due to the fertility of the soil. Now, people have said that Josephus had a tendency to exaggerate, but even so, the point's clear. There were a lot of cities and villages for Jesus to visit. To visit. And Jesus walked to, and he walked through all those villages. For me, there, you know, there's something that is kind of spiritual about walking. When, when I walk, I often talk to God. I, I pray. When I walk, I enjoy the, the beauty of God's creation around me. I love it. And when I walk, I often talk to neighbors who happen to be outside. I talk to other people who are walking. I even one time broke, uh, brought up a brief conversation with a FedEx driver as he was walking up a driveway. This guy was filled with joy. He kind of made my day. Sometimes, though, I walk when I'm stressed or when I'm hurting. And those walks are fast and furious, but they do serve the purpose of putting things in perspective. And walking and praying and talking to people can offer the opportunity to share the joy in your heart. Whether it's a conversation or just a smile, we're on mission. Imagine when Jesus was walking. There were probably always people along the way. Jesus went to the synagogues, but it was in walking that Jesus met people where they were. The Gospel writer Ma Matthew mentioned several encounters just prior to our passage from this morning. There was a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak. There were two blind men. Jesus met Matthew as he walked past Matthew's tax-collecting booth. There was a paralytic and two men with demons. You see, Jesus went. He met people who were broken. He demonstrated compassion. A and Jesus didn't just go. He taught. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. You know, when we hear the word taught, it's easy to think of a, a classroom setting or maybe a Sunday morning in the sanctuary like this. We might expect to hear things that are so deep and sometimes difficult to understand. The, the pastor might define words for us. And that can be helpful or it can be demeaning. We often think the pastor or the teacher, whoever that person is, is smarter than us. And that's not true by any stretch. I've learned more about faith from family and from all of you than I ever learned in the classroom. Now, the fact is, though, when Jesus taught, he was the smartest person in the room. Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke with the authority of God. And yet, when Jesus taught, he told simple stories. There was a widow who barely gave two cents in the offering, but her gift was greater than everybody else. There was a man who was robbed and beaten, and he was left lying on the road. 
all the good and religious people were too busy to help. It took a despised Samaritan to come to the man's rescue. Jesus told a simple story of a son who left home and told his dad to give him his inheritance, and he took it with him. Life then beat this young man down, and he eventually returned to his father's loving arms. He was forgiven. He was shown compassion. He was healed. But his older brother wasn't happy. And Jesus had a lesson for the older brother as well. See, I've learned that teaching typically isn't for the purpose of just filling our heads with all kinds of facts and knowledge. That's, that's fine. But teaching helps you and I live out our faith in everyday life. It's practical. When it comes to living a life of compassion, the Bible is our textbook. Messages like this and devotions and podcasts, they can be the inspiration. But you know what? The world is our classroom. And that's how Jesus taught. And Jesus not only taught us how to live, but he proclaimed the gospel. He gave people hope for that day and hope for the future. See, without the gospel, broken people could never, ever find healing. And Jesus healed the broken. He provided physical and spiritual healing. Matthew said he went healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus healed every disease, including blindness and lepers and paralytics, the lame and so on. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He offered forgiveness. He restored the broken souls of many. And his death on the cross provides you and I eternal healing. Jesus reconciled us to the Father. Jesus' ultimate healing saved us from the punishment we deserve. And, and we look at the Bible and we look at those miraculous healings of, of the blind seeing and the lame walking and we're like, God, can't you just do that for me? And sometimes he does. But even then we have to remember that physical healing is temporary. We're going to get sick again. Unless Jesus returns, we're going to die. But when Jesus heals your soul, that's eternal. Matthew 9.36 provides the motivation to all that Jesus did. It was compassion. It was love demonstrated by compassion. We read in that, those verses, when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now we already said that to have compassion is to suffer with another person. It's also, though, a call to action. Jesus saw the crowds. He was aware of the state of all humans. Jesus' action, he had compassion because those people were harassed. They were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, sheep are stupid. And I'm sorry if I offended any sheep equal rights advocates that might be here this morning, but sheep are dumb. You might say they're dumber than a box of rocks. They're a few cards shy of a full deck. When God gave out brains, the sheep thought he said trains, and they didn't really want any trains. Sheep fall prey to wild animals. They literally aren't smart enough to come in out of the rain, and they're easily led astray. And here's where it gets tough. It always stings just a bit. It stings a lot when the Bible compares you and me to sheep. But it's true. In the grand scheme of things, we're not too smart. We do dumb stuff repeatedly. So many people abandon the truth of God for a lie. And you and I, we know better. We have to hold on to the truth. 
But even then, there are many times where we are harassed and we're helpless. And that's because we're broken. Every one of us is broken. And thankfully, Jesus has compassion for us. He did suffer with us. He walked this world. He did take action. He sacrificed his life for us. He healed us. Psalm 103.13 states, As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now so far, Matthew's been talking a lot about what Jesus did, and right now, in this point in the passage, he switches to what Jesus did to focus on his disciples, and so he's in turn focusing on you and I. In Matthew 9, 37 and 38, we read this. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. That simply means that there's a lot of broken people who need the healing that only Jesus can provide. It's that simple. But the problem is that there aren't enough workers. Kind of reminds you of our world today, doesn't it? Everywhere you go, there are postings and help-wanted signs. I see, I've gone to a, a restaurant that's closed because they didn't have enough people to work that day. Others have shortened their hours because they don't have enough workers. Wages are going up, but not quite as fast as inflation seems to be rising prices. And there's a lot of work. But there's not enough workers. And it's the same with spreading the gospel. There are not enough committed Christians, disciples living for Jesus. And that should be a challenge to all of us. And so what did Jesus do? He told his disciples to pray earnestly to the, that the Lord would send workers out into the harvest. Praying for workers to be sent sounds simple, doesn't it? We can do that. I can pray, God, would you send somebody out there to take care of people? But I think we all know what happens when we pray earnestly about something. God starts changing our heart. Whatever or whoever we're praying for becomes a focus for us. God calls us into action. If you jump ahead to Matthew 10, 5 through 8, you see the result of those disciples' prayers. Jesus sent them out. He told them to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Their mission was to begin with their own people. But their mission, and ultimately ours, is to preach the gospel to everyone. Now, it's, it's really interesting to see Jesus' marching orders to his disciples. He said in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 10, he said, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pay, paying, give without pay. That sound kind of similar or familiar to something we heard earlier? Isn't that what Jesus did? They were to go, proclaim, and heal. Sometimes we go. We go overseas. In past years, Bethesda has sent mission teams to Mexico and Haiti. Sadly, COVID has interrupted our overseas work, but we're going to get back to it one day in the future. We've sent our teams and their sponsors out to those in need around our country. There's also a, there's a great need, actually, to leave our home city and go where the Lord sends us. 
And, and yet our going may be as close as across the street. If Bethesda is to continue being a life-giving church, we need to go. We need to get outside the doors of this building. We need to get outside of our house. Maybe we send money or needed supplies. But often it, we're called to deliver those supplies and the gospel in person. Part of our mission statement as a church declares we impact our community. Bethesda supports Feed My People. We've had members volunteer, including those serving on the board of directors. We've served in our local public schools. We support the Pregnancy Help Center. You provide funding. We have two Bethesda members that are on the board, and others of you have worked as volunteers. See, these ministries and, and others are right in our own backyard. We can get personally involved. In a couple of weeks, our marketing lead, Amber, and I will be talking to a woman from a ministry that rescues trafficked women. Now, when I think of trafficked women, I don't think of St. Louis. I don't think it happens here, but the fact of the matter is, this is a thoroughfare for it. And so when Amber and I meet with this woman at this ministry, we're going to see how we as a church maybe want to get involved in supporting their cause. Supporting the rescue of these women. And whenever we do that, whenever we go close to home or we go far away, we proclaim the gospel. That's our goal. We proclaim the gospel every Sunday morning here. It's supposed to happen. It should happen in our conversation with friends and family. We proclaim the gospel with our actions and then also with our words. And in doing so, we show compassion. Over 25 years ago, my wife and I sponsored our first child through Compassion International. And our thought was to help a child living in poverty. You see, Compassion provides education, food, and health care to children in need around the world. And it's all done through the child's local Christian church. These children learn about a Savior who loves them. And the goal for any sponsored child is to become an adult who can care for themselves and also care for others. And the goal is also to raise up a new generation of Christians around the world. And so years ago, Mary and I sponsored Mariana from Guatemala. We wrote to her. She wrote to us. We exchanged pictures. Since that time, we've sponsored a bunch of other kids. Just before Mariana left the program, Mary and I actually had the blessing to go down to Guatemala and meet Mariana and her family. I got to tell you, it was a humbling experience. A young man I know recently sponsored a child through Compassion International. And just this last week, I asked him why he did it. I, and this was his answer. He said, it's a great way to not only improve my faith, but also to help form a child of God and provide an education for the child. And I know this young man's heart. He has a very strong faith. I love how he said he hoped to help form a child of God. Because that's what we do as Christians. We don't create children of God. We don't save people from their sins, but we do have a part to play. We don't heal others, but we can be part of the healing process. This young man's sponsorship is a gift of 
compassion. But it was actually his first line in his text that caught my attention because it's so true. Sponsoring a child, he said, would improve his faith. In my experience with sponsoring children or any time I see people reaching out to another person in the name of Jesus Christ with compassion, faith grows. The faith of one receiving compassion grows and the faith of one giving compassion grows. You see, when we offer compassion to the broken, God does bring healing. He brings it to you and to them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have a steadfast love for us. It's un it's never ending. It's unbounded. You offer us mercy and grace and you offer us compassion. You love us with a love that is so deep, so pure, so constant that we don't even understand it. And you call us. You call us to do the same. And God, it's hard. It's so hard. We have so much brokenness in our own lives. We have so many problems that we have to deal with that we sometimes just can't seem to find the time to show your love and mercy and compassion to another person. Forgive us. Give us a heart. Give us the heart of Jesus, a heart for people, a heart of compassion. Teach us in practical ways to love others. We look to your Son, our Savior, Jesus, as the example of compassion. And we pray words commonly known as the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able, please stand as the worship team will lead us in our closing.